Blog Talk Radio. Sunbury Press author's interview. I'm Van Carter. As the computer nerd in the movie Jurassic Park warned just before he rebooted the system, hold on to your butts. The book is titled The Most Hated Man in America, Jerry Sandusky and the Rush to Judgment. It was written by Sunbury Press author Mark Pendergrast, and I have him as my guest. It's an important book and an important subject, and those of you who have thought this was a closed subject need to sit and listen. It's far from a settled case. Mr. Pendergrast, I thank you for giving us some time with this. I'm bursting with thoughts and questions, but I guess we need to put this in some kind of order first, right? Yes, well, thank you for having me, Van. Yeah, uh, encapsulate it as well as you can. It's a huge it's a huge story, but do what you can with it. Well, I came to believe that Jerry Sandusky was innocent after looking very uh, closely at the case. When I first heard about it, I thought, like I think everybody else, that of course he was guilty. There were uh, so many people who had come forward. Uh, eventually, there were over 30 who claimed that he had done something to them. Uh, plus, the most famous incident was the assistant coach who had witnessed him abusing a child, sodomizing a boy, a 12-year-old boy, uh, in the shower. So there seemed to be no question that that was the case. But a woman contacted me and said, you know, you really ought to look into this case. It, uh, it involves a fair amount of repressed memory therapy which is something I had written a book about, uh, questioning that people could really repress memories and then recall them later in life. That, As a matter of fact, most of the bad things that happen to you, you, you recall them quite well, thank you. Quite well. Uh, and so, you've written two books. Yeah, I wrote a book called Memory Warp, uh, about the uh, repressed memory epidemic that really began in the late 1980s and continues, unfortunately, although it's sort of under the radar. It's been pretty well uh, debunked, this idea that Freud had 100 years ago that you could uh, be abused for years of your childhood and completely forget it uh, and then recall it as an adult. Um, You can't disprove that. Um, but it doesn't make any sense according to what memory scientists tell you. And it's, uh, I couldn't find one convincing case where people forgot years of abuse. I did find a few cases where people forgot mild incidents like a fondling, um, a one-time event. 
and then recalled it. But I don't think that's repression. I think it's just normal uh, remembering and forgetting. At any rate, so when this woman told me that I should look into the case, I, you know, I'll look into anything. So I did. But the first thing I said to her was, what about Mike McQuarrie? We all know what he saw and heard in the shower. But it turns out that he also changed his memory, although I don't think it had to do with repressed memory particularly. All of our memories are subject to um, to malleable suggestion. Uh, particularly if there's been a long period of time between them. So when McQuarrie saw, or well, he didn't really see anything. What he did was he overheard slapping sounds in a shower, and he thought that they sounded sexual. So this was in probably December of 2000, although he recalled it later as being uh, a few months later, uh, uh, one month later, but it probably was actually in late 2000. He came into the shower. He heard slapping sounds. He looked into a mirror in the locker room. He saw a boy's face, didn't look surprised or shocked or upset, and he saw a man's arm grabbing the boy and pulling him back into the shower. And then later, he saw Sandusky and the boy walk out of the shower. He assumed that he had been present for sexual abuse of this boy. But he went home, and when he asked, when he told his father and his father's boss about this, uh, he told them what I just said. Uh, and his boss, who was, uh, you know, used his mode of, uh, who was a doctor who, uh, who asked people normally what happened, said, but, but what did you see, Mike? What did you see? He just kept saying that he had overheard these sounds. So they told him, and by the way, so the doctor is a mandatory reporter, if you suspect child abuse, you have to report it. Right. He didn't. He didn't. He but said, he didn't, suspect, Look, Mike, he, he, he didn't suspect child abuse because of what he'd heard. No. He basically said, you know, Sandusky is well known for goofing around and playing around with kids. So maybe he was doing something wrong. Maybe he wasn't. But you should tell this to uh, Coach Paterno. And so he did. He went and told Coach Paterno that he had overheard something that he thought was upsetting. And Paterno, later on in his mid-80s, thought that maybe he had told him that he had seen something. But in fact, that's not what he said at the time. So ten years, cut to 10 years later, the police are investigating Sandusky because of another reported incident. They heard that McQuarrie had seen something. So they went and questioned him. And now he recalls that he saw Sandusky moving his hips, quote, subtly behind this boy in the shower. Uh, he said he saw the, these, quote, subtle movements for about one or two seconds, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. 
But anyway, so that is the crux of this case, is the sighting in the shower, uh, and it doesn't hold up. Uh, and McQuarrie himself, ironically, was uh, in the habit of sending pictures of his erect penis to uh, women on the phone, on his phone, <laughs> texting <laughs> pictures. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I suspect that the sounds that he overheard uh, were from maybe his own heated imagination. Now, I know Jerry what Sandusky was a big kid. I'm sorry to interrupt Mark, but Jerry Sandusky was was he was just a he was a big kid. He was a man, but but he loved kids. He was a big kid, so that was horseplay. All of these people up the line that were reported to uh well they actually called him in and asked him about it and he said, "Well, it was just horseplay." And they knew that's what he did. That's what he said, but he also said, "Do you want to talk to the kid that was in the shower?" Yeah. Uh, I'll be glad to, to, to have, have you talk to him. And, and his boss said, no, no, don't worry about it. It's okay. You explained it, but we don't want you coming to the campus anymore with kids. It doesn't look good, so don't do it. Well, I wish that he had said, yes, I want to talk to that kid, because yeah. his name was Alan Myers, Alan Myers came forward after this whole thing uh, blew up in November of 2011, and he gave a statement to uh, Sandusky's lawyer saying, look, I remember that night very well. Uh, we were slap boxing with each other. We were snapping towels at each other. That's the sound this guy overheard. Jerry Sandusky never abused me in any way. He was a father figure to me. I had him stand up instead of my father at my senior high school football game. Uh, I went, I drove for many hours to attend his mother's funeral. I lived with the Sandusky family uh, for a summer uh, after I graduated. And, uh, you know, this is an ex-Marine, uh, and, and that's what he said. Now, you would think that that would have settled this case and he would have been called to testify, but in fact he was not called to testify because about two weeks after he gave that statement, he flipped. He got a lawyer named uh, Shubin who represented many of the Sandusky people who... A contingency of a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah, a contingency lawyer, uh, you know, I'll take your case for free as long as I get 25% of everything that we get from the case or something exactly. along those lines. So uh, Myers, oddly enough, never has said precisely what Sandusky is supposed to have done to him, despite numerous attempts by the police to, to, to get him to say something. Um, eventually, they sort of threw their hands up and gave up. Shubin at first wouldn't let them talk to him at all by himself, uh, insisted that he be present. The police didn't want that. Uh, eventually, after many, many attempts to get him to say something, he said, well, you know, he might have done something to me, but he didn't really say what. Finally, many years later, uh, last year, 
he uh, testified and he said that he had been abused. Didn't say exactly how and didn't, in fact, say who. Didn't even say it was Sandusky who abused me. Um, so the whole case with the shower incident with Mike McQuarrie uh, smells highly of fish. Um, well, the whole thing just, it's, it's amazing, uh, Mark. Uh, I'm an old newsman, and, and I was a fair investigative reporter in my time. And this this entire book that you have written, you wrote it like a newsman. Uh, it's what makes it so gripping and effective. Uh, you've just laid out the facts. And what I have gleaned from from reading your book, uh, and, and I just, I, I, I became more and more incredulous as I went along, as to, uh, I just, I can't believe this is what happened. But, but uh, the way I add it up is that this all began from a couple of reports, both of which turned out to be nothings, but then the, 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 the local PD decided that... Uh, Hello? Hello. Yes, hello. Hi, I, I lost you for a minute there. Sorry. Am I back? The local PD decided to go after it. Yeah. So, yeah, um, and 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 yeah, then, and, then, in and then they took it. They took it to a prosecutor who had already made up her mind. Then they did all of this. They got to these repressed memory therapists, although that therapy has been pretty much repudiated. And then there were contingency lawyers involved, of course, who all of them are going to be really interested in in uh, taking somebody to the cleaners. The jury that was seated, finally, uh, there were people who stated clearly they'd made up their minds. And and uh, and and although the the uh, defense counsel objected, the 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 judge seated them. It was a, a hanging judge. He had an extremely poor defense team, and and several of these young men, all of whom had been troubled boys from sketchy backgrounds, uh, now telling their stories differently every time they told it, all claiming they hadn't remembered any of this until recently. And let's not forget, Penn State's offered to pay off the victims before any legal action had hardly begun. I'm uh, this this was just. I can't believe this. It's a pretty amazing story. Yeah, yeah. Well, what happened was uh, Sandusky would mentor children. He started a program called the Second Mile to try to help troubled youth. And at first it was a, uh, a place for foster kids uh, and sort of a halfway house, but then it uh, it, it evolved into him helping thousands of kids. And Sandusky, as you said, was kind of a big kid himself. He had grown up in a recreation center that his his father and mother ran. They lived on the second floor. And the only shower there was a communal shower in the center itself. So he grew up, uh, you know, throwing water balloons, being a goofball, and... Uh, uh, showering with men and other boys. So as part of uh, befriending these kids, he was a big believer in exercise, in schoolwork, 
and he would try to help them do well in school, and he would take them for exercise, and then he would take them to shower often. Not all the time. He said, he told me not nearly as much as what they're talking about here. Uh, so in 1998, he took a shower with a kid, and his mother discovered this and was very, very upset and turned him into the police. And <clears throat> the police even mounted a sting operation to try to overhear him say something horrible. And the first time, he didn't say anything. The second time, supposedly, he said, you know, I feel terrible about this. I wish I was dead. Sandusky, and this was not tape recorded. Sandusky says he would never say something like that. Uh, but he might have said, I feel terrible if, if you're telling me that the boy was upset by the shower because, you know, I didn't mean to upset him. But he never, ever said he did anything to the kid. Now, we have what the kid said. Uh, we have the transcript of the interview uh, that the police and the Child Protective Services did with this kid the day after the shower in 1988. And they used terrible interviewing technique where they went after him over and over again to try to get him to, to say that something had happened, and he wouldn't. So here, here is where, let me just read you a little bit of that uh, interview, if you don't mind. It's on page uh, 19. Okay. Uh, at any time in the shower, did Jerry's penis look like it was erect? No, no. Not at all? No. Okay. At what point did Jerry then, what did he do to you then? Well, first, like he was pretending to try to squeeze my guts out. He like, you know, just trying to get the soap out of my hair, and he lifted me up. But he lifted me up pretty high. My feet was just around his waist. My back was touching his chest. Are you telling me he never touched you any place that was inappropriate? No, he did not. Did he ever ask you to touch him in any place inappropriate? No. Okay, do you know what a good touch is and a bad touch is? Yes, I do. What is a good touch? A good touch is like shaking your hand or something and a hug, and a bad touch is like touching something that you're not supposed to touch. Okay, and I'm going to ask you, you know this is real important, but you tell me, did Jerry ever touch you in a place that was inappropriate? No, he did not. Okay, this is the last time I'm going to say this. Okay, and I want you to know this is very important. It's very important. See, we don't want to get anybody in trouble that doesn't deserve to be. Do you feel that Jerry touched you in an inappropriate way when he lifted you up? No, I don't think so. Did he ever touch you on your private parts? No. I mean, this is absolutely terrible, terrible interviewing because it's kind of what he wanted to say. You're not supposed to lead people like this. But despite the leading, uh, he, he didn't say anything. In fact, this kid, whose name was uh, Zach Constas, never came up with something, although he eventually decided that maybe he had repressed the memory and had blacked out. Uh, but he, he never actually said that uh, he remembered Sandusky doing anything. Despite that, Sandusky was found guilty of, of molesting him uh, because he had been, quote, grooming him uh, to molest him, that sort of how thing. Much did, how much did Penn State pay, t pay him? 
Well, they paid an average of two or three million dollars to each of these uh, people. I'm not sure what the exact figures are because they haven't revealed that. You so know, you're talking you about, about the Aaron. Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. You, well, you were talking about the police interviews, and and they did they did fully tape one police interview, and 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 in which they forgot to shut off the recorder during a break and we could hear them talking about leading the witnesses and and pumping them trying to get them to say more that's true that was uh, their star victim so to speak uh, whose name was uh, uh, come on now let me find the star victim chapter I'm blanking on the name was it Houts? Uh Swisher Swisher House, that's right, Brett. Yeah. So, yeah, let me find the police. Now, he was very uh, uh, cooperative eventually. At first, he wouldn't say anything, uh, but then he became their star witness. Uh, and he had been somebody that Sandusky had worked so hard with to try to get him to uh, you know, to be a good student, etc. And he clearly just had contempt for uh, Sandusky's efforts. So they introduced letters in the trial that that Sandusky had written to Brett, um, and they called them love letters. But in fact, this is what he said. Uh, yeah, they you were care a little letters. when you can. They were coach letters. You care a little when you can impress your peers that you hang out with players or when you are given something. You care a little when you can impress some young lady. There's no real feeling. Your words mean nothing. You have no loyalty. You have no appreciation. You have no work ethic. There's no substance to your agreements. You live moment to moment. You're faltering in school. You listen to nobody but yourself. You don't want anybody in your life to try to help you. You discard them. So... This does not exactly sound like a molester. At any rate, well, all of these all um, of these young men who he was dealing with, and all of these young men who came forward, uh, were part of this program. So they all of them uh, basically started out uh, from what we would say the other side of the tracks. So he's trying to push true. them along. That's true. He was trying to, you know, and and there was a pattern that emerged. Generally speaking. When they became young teens, they would become, you know, they weren't as impressed that this coach guy was, you know, getting them free uh, sports equipment that he'd gotten donated to him for, you know, because he was a coach or whatever. And they wanted to go out and uh, do drugs and party or, and, and be promiscuous with girls. And they didn't want to hang out with Jerry Sandusky anymore. And so uh, that was often what happened. And he got very, very frustrated uh, with this. Anyway, let me read you a little bit of what the police thought. Let, let me interrupt uh, you for just a moment there, please, Mark. And I'd like to explain to the audience, in case you seem a bit distracted, uh, Mark Pendergrast has written a lot of books about a lot of subjects. So... So if this isn't, you know, right on top of, of his mind at the moment, although I, I believe this is this is a remarkable work. So I'm sorry. I had to put that in. Well, thank you. Thank you. No, I wrote it a year ago, so I'm just uh, refreshing myself here myself. Um, so here is what Joe Leiter, the uh, detective, said uh, on this tape when they thought 
the tape uh, was not running. And the lawyer was there in this case. His name was Andriazzi. Can we at some point in time say to him, Ouch, listen, we've interviewed other kids, and other kids have told us that there was intercourse and that they have admitted this, you know. Is there something else that you want to tell us? By the way, that's not true at this point. <laughs> the, uh, right. They hadn't gotten any. Uh, Lighter saw no problem. Yep. We do that with all the kids. We say, listen, this is what we found so far. You fit the pattern of all the other ones. This is the way he operates. And the other kids we dealt with have told us that this has happened after this happened. Did that happen to you? They were telling these kids that Jerry Sandusky was guilty already. They were telling him he was guilty. They were lying about what other kids had told them. And... Uh, they were saying, you know, they said about the kid that, that, that started this whole thing, Aaron Fisher, victim one, who we'll talk about in a minute. We had a kid in here the other day who thinks the world of him, Sandusky. We never got that far with him. I think we're going to talk with him again because he left here. In fact, I said to him, you know, we're done with you now. You're shot. Your mind is absolutely a sponge. I mean, this is a horrible thing to do, sit these kids down. I keep calling them kids, but in fact they were young men. Sit these people down, and then they realize, oh, man, I didn't realize that's what he was doing this whole time. None of them had uh, any memories words, at all of, of this yeah, originally. They, so, so, so then when they bring the kid back in, they say, before we start again, I just want to let you know you are not the first victim we have spoken to. We have interviewed nine adults, and you were doing very well. You're doing very well. But, you know, and then they wanted him to say that there was oral sex, and that became sort of the holy grail for them, and eventually he did. Um, Now, let's go back to Aaron Fisher a second. This kid was only 15 years old when uh, they began to, uh, when his mother suspected that he was abused, and his mother, according to the next-door neighbor, was really in it for the money. Uh, She saw this as a golden way to get a lot of money, and you'll see a picture of her uh, in my book that she posted on MySpace, uh, very proud of herself for being drunk at a bar, saying, Mm -hmm. that's me at the saloon, who knows who that guy is, lol, laughing out loud. so she liked Sandusky taking her kid because it was it would allow her to go and party. Um, but she then decided that he must have done something bad to him. Now, Fisher said at first that after they had wrestled around, Sandusky would hug him tight and crack his back, which is something that I will tell you, I used to be a wrestler and I used to have people step on my back to crack it because it mm-hmm. felt good. Yeah. So this is you know, not too surprising. So they asked him at Child Protective Services, well, did you both have your clothes on? Yes, we did. We both had our clothes on. That was it. That was what he said. So they suspected something must have happened besides this. They handed him off to a therapist who happened to be upstairs named Mike Gillum, and Gillum was absolutely sure that something had happened to him, and he proceeded to sort of educate him about how he might have repressed the memories. 
Even yeah, he was a repressed memory claimed, guy. Well, he claimed he wasn't. But yeah. if you read, I mean, they fortunately, they ended up writing a book about this. Yeah. Gillum uh, and uh, uh, Aaron Fisher and his mother. They, it was ghostwritten by somebody, but they, you know, did the interviews for it. So we know what he did. Mm-hmm. And this is amazing. So he says, if I'm lucky, the children who were abused just acknowledged spontaneously without too much prodding. But with other ones, he asks yes or no questions. It's like that old kid's game of hide the button where the kid says yes when you get closer and no when you're on a cold trail. And this is absolutely classically bad interviewing technique, very, Mm -hmm. very leading, where you don't have to say anything yourself. I'll just guess. And you nod your head, uh, et cetera. So uh, Gillum kept telling him that he knew he was abused. He said, though I knew he was 15, I couldn't get over how young he looked, and his mental function and maturity appeared to be that of a 12-year-old as well. So he finally got him to say yes to some things, and he claims he got him to say yes to oral sex, although he told the police no uh, for several months after that. Yeah, so and they just kept pushing. Thing. He kept pushing and pushing and pushing. So uh, after Gillum explained to him that this behavior of Sandusky was really grooming behavior, that he was a classic profile of a predator, Uh, Fisher said, I was good at pushing the memories of abuse all away. Once the weekends with Jerry were over, I managed to lock it all deep inside my mind somehow. That was how I dealt with it until the next time. Mike has explained a lot to me since this all happened. He said that what I was doing is called compartmentalizing. I was in such denial about everything. So it's very, very clear that this was repressed memory. Um, so, and Aaron Fisher, oddly enough, uh, he's from Lock Haven, uh, Pennsylvania, and there's a guy named John Ziegler who did a lot of digging on this case, and there's a whole chapter about him in the book. I saw that. And uh, uh, he dug up lots and lots of people who knew Fisher who didn't believe a word of this from his hometown, and, and Fisher himself complained bitterly that, uh, you know, nobody uh, would believe him uh, from his own hometown. So a lot of people asked me, uh, Van, uh, if I was able to interview the uh, victims, the claimed victims in the case. And by the way, they were referred to by the prosecution and by the judge as victims, not alleged victims, the whole way through the trial, which is not a good plan. Anyway... I was only able to interview one of of these uh, young men. His name is Dustin. I named them all, by the way, and and, uh, the media has irritated me by calling all of them victim one, victim two, victim three, victim four, blah, blah, blah. Uh So, Uh but their names are public. They're in the public record. They're, you know, in the trial transcript. So Dustin Struble, victim number seven, Uh, told me that uh, this was all repressed memories. He said, yeah, both of my therapists have thought I repressed memories, uh, and I didn't remember any of this until I went to the police. And then I got into therapy, 
And the reason that my testimony changed so much between my grand jury testimony and what I said at the trial was, and he said this during the trial, uh, he said, that doorway that I had closed has since been reopening more. More things have been coming back and things have changed since that grand jury testimony. Through counseling and different things, I can remember a lot more detail that I had just pushed aside than I did at that point. Now, come on, let's and, be honest. How much of that came, How much of that is, do you think, because I think, how much of that is, is, a, is a consequence of having a contingency lawyer who sees millions in settlements out there that he's going to get a hand on uh, pushing him that direction? Well, I think that that is the case with probably many of these. Having met Struble and talked to him and then corresponded with him, I don't actually think that that was his largest motivation, although I interviewed him in a house he had just bought with a brand new car that he just bought with his From money. a settlement. So yeah. there's no <clears throat> Yeah. So there's no question he had the money. But he was very I think naive and very convinced that all of this had happened. Uh and and he said it uh, during his testimony. He said, you know, that testimony is what I had recalled at that time. Though, again, through counseling, through talking about things, I've remembered a great deal more things that I blocked out. And at that time, that was, yes, that's what I thought, but at this time, that has changed. So, Well, all of here's these people, he, I'm sorry again, but all of these people who have been making these claims, these, these then boys and now men who are making these claims, uh, while this was supposedly happening to them, one of them even claimed that he was held hostage in the in the in the Sandusky's basement for three days on a weekend and not fed and sexually abused and he screamed and etc. and nobody came. But next week he went back again. They kept going back to the Sandusky's. That's right, because of course they had repressed the memory the whole time supposedly. Although in that case. I do think that uh, it was money. I mean, basically, they got, <clears throat> they had six people, including Zach Constas, who never actually claimed he did anything, and others who claimed very mild things, basically. Uh, and then they had Brett Houts, who was their uh, star victim, who would say anything uh, whatsoever that you wanted him to. Um, but then, uh, after this became very, very public with the grand jury presentment of uh, November 2011, it became extremely clear that uh, they were going to hand out a lot of money from Penn State. And that's when the contingency lawyers got extremely excited. And that's when you had uh, people like uh, Sebastian Payton uh, making extraordinary claims. And I don't think those were repressed memory cases. They didn't have time, for one thing. I think they were simply uh, after the money. Jumping on point. the bandwagon. And I think, that, I think that most of the ones since then, which, you know, there were some who claimed that, uh, you know, they had told Joe Paterno about this back in the 70s or 80s, and that Paterno had uh, turned a blind eye to it. That's absolutely preposterous. I mean, 
you know, one of the horrible things about this case is the ruination of uh, Joe Paterno's uh, reputation. Ironically, he and Sandusky did not really get along. Paterno was not trying to protect Sandusky. No. Uh, that's not what happened in this case. And a whole um, and, and a whole a whole chain of those men going up the line all the way to the university president ended up in ruination over this. Ended up with actual criminal charges filed against them. That's right, and ended up uh, spending some time in prison. Uh, two of them. So it's and you know I'm not sure what will happen to the former president. I call this a moral panic. And it is a classic example of what can happen when the media jumps on a bandwagon. When it's, and I'll tell you, uh, I appreciate being able to talk to you because my book has been almost universally blackballed. And I don't understand that at all. Well, it's true. It has been uh, ignored by Penn State. Uh, It has been ignored by the sports press. And I reached out, you know, through LinkedIn and other places to many, many, many people when the book came out. And it's been enormously frustrating. Uh, and, and there's so many ironies to this. The Paterno family didn't like John Ziegler going on t- television, and he held up this document of Alan Myers saying nothing had happened in the shower on television, on national television, on the Today Show, and on CNN. Nobody asked to read it. Nobody asked to look at it. And the Paternos were appalled because they had decided the way they were going to play this was that Sandusky had fooled them and was guilty as hell, and so they wouldn't have anything to do with anything trying to say that Sandusky was innocent. It's... And they've never had much to do with me either. I've tried to talk to them and and failed. And it's bizarre because, of course, if Sandusky didn't abuse anyone, then uh, obviously Paterno wasn't covering up anything. And he wasn't covering up anything. No. Uh, no. You know, he did what he was supposed to do. When uh, Mike McQuarrie came to him, he passed this up the line and uh, told his boss, and who told his boss, who told his boss, who was the university president, and they all concluded that he'd been, you know, horse playing around in the shower, which was, in fact, what he had been doing. And they ended up with um, criminal charges. Yeah. I'll tell you, besides just the rush rush to judgment, as is in your title, uh, to me it's like it's it was public hysteria. It reminds me of the Salem witch trials. Well, it was very similar. And you had, you know, President Obama basically calling him guilty uh, publicly and saying, you know, we have to watch out for things like this and we we all need to to be careful. The President of the United States said that. So um, the other irony involved here is that Sandusky had no pornography on his computer or in his home. Not adult, not child, nothing. It's very unusual for someone who is attracted to children <clears throat> who did have pornography were the prosecutors who were happily uh, sending gross, uh, really grotesque, uh, racist uh, pornography uh, and, and sexist pornography back and forth to each other by email, which all came out 
as a result of the investigation of how the Sandusky case was prosecuted. <laughs> well, the other thing that it's goes on beyond... here is that the 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 other thing is is that uh, I think we can we can all of us agree that most of these sorts of things. Uh, any kind of a sexual predator is uh, mostly testosterone driven and uh, and yet did not Jerry Sandusky historically have uh, low testosterone levels yeah yeah he had very low testosterone and and still does uh that's why he and Dottie his wife had to uh, adopt children they adopted six children uh, and he is being treated for testosterone now, uh, for low testosterone, in prison. So um, that should have come out in trial. It didn't. I mean, his defense lawyers, to their credit, tried to quit right before the trial and said, we're totally unprepared. People are going to look back at this as a joke. And the judge wouldn't let them, and they, they should have quit anyway, but they didn't. Um, but they did an absolutely hideous job. Uh, the the main guy was named Joe Amendola, and he couldn't hear very well, uh, so he often didn't hear what people were saying. Uh, he did a, he did terrible, a terrible job, job as you, uh, in terms of, uh, of jury selection, uh, and he uh, made statements that seemed to, you know, his opening statement was unbelievable which he said later was he was being sarcastic but give me a break this is the first thing you say is the state has overwhelming evidence against my client yeah i'm facing the, a major uphill battle like climbing mount everest yeah Ugh, unbelievable unbelievable and the judge allowed you know, the, in the opening statement the uh, prosecutor was allowed to talk about how they had blocked these memories out how and he showed blown up pictures of them as children with the implication that you know these poor boys had been abused uh so much about this case is incredible there was there was a, a what i call the phantom victim a victim who never existed at all uh that a janitor yeah. supposedly saw and that a, janitor, a janitor now suffering Jim from dementia <laughs> now suffering from dementia but <clears throat> what i found and so it was it was second hand hearsay evidence that was allowed into court uh and should have been inadmissible in the first place but it yes. turns out the police had tape recorded an interview with jim calhoun before he went totally uh, around the bend and he insisted that yes he had seen someone uh, giving oral sex to an older boy, which may have been a football player, in the shower. But when he was asked if it was Coach Sandusky, he very vehemently said, no, no, it was not Coach Sandusky. I know him. No, it was not him. And the defense the lawyer defense, missed that entirely. Yeah, and he claims he heard it but decided not to play it, which I yeah. don't believe. No. E either he's utterly incompetent or I think he never listened to it. He said he had, you know, like 12,000 pages of stuff to read, all these tapes. He he never listened to that. I'm quite sure he didn't, or he would have played it. He never Absolutely. called it, uh, uh, Alan Myers to the stand, which he should have, to say what mm -hmm. it, he never introduced that statement I told you about in the shower, was never introduced at trial, uh, because they were afraid 
that then the prosecution would say, well, now he's saying otherwise. Well, so what? You know, you sh- you should have had that in there. Anyway. So Jerry Sandusky uh, sits in jail right now, still in prison, and do they still have him in solitary on a suicide watch? No, thank goodness. Uh, most of the time that I was writing the book, they had him in uh, a solitary confinement, and every time uh, they would have him taken anywhere else, he would go through this whole rigmarole of having all of his items uh, taken away and, and not restored. And there was a guard who had it in for him. He thought he was going to drown from urine and feces at one point when it overflowed from another prisoner. One of the things that this book is revealing about is not just the Sandusky case, but the way that our prison system treats people. You know, if I can go off on my high horse for a minute, we have more people in prison in this country than any other country in the world, both per capita and in total numbers. And many of them, not the majority, many, but a sizable minority of them are innocent. And many, many of those are black or African Americans. So Absolutely. Sandusky, in a way, I felt felt guilty about focusing just on his case because he's a prominent white guy. Uh, but the fact that it could happen to, to him, uh, just imagine. And he had at least, you know, a support network and money enough to hire a lawyer, even though he wasn't the best in the world. Just imagine what happens if you're accused of, uh, falsely accused of abusing children, which is a very, very high-profile crime, and you didn't do it. Well, you're, you're toast uh, if, you, if you don't have any money. Many, many people take plea bargains. In fact, most of one of the interest, one of the reasons I concluded that Sandusky was innocent was that he refused any plea bargain, didn't make any attempt to take one. Uh, but many people who are innocent take plea bargains because they're facing a choice of either facing, you know, 20 years or the rest of their life in prison or saying, okay, I did something they didn't do. And well, Jerry Sandusky has two, two years. Jerry Sandusky has, has never wavered from proclaiming his innocence. And I can't remember who the expert it was that you quoted in your book as saying that uh, some some sexual predator expert or something who said that uh, they Dr. all Fred they all they all start off uh, proclaiming their innocence and then and then almost universally they all break down and they just start making making up excuses for it and the only one that that person had ever seen who uh, continued to proclaim innocence actually turned out to be to uh, be found innocent that's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, there were so many. The first thing I did was to interview uh, Sandusky's uh, five children who remain uh, convinced that he's innocent. And they all told me the same thing. Dad is a big kid. We had a wonderful childhood full of games and happiness and family outings. And Mom and Dad are great people. And we don't believe a word of this. And those second-mile kids... He treated them just like he treated us. Uh, and yes, he's a touchy-feely, huggy guy, but no, he didn't abuse us. Now, let me talk about uh, Matt Sandusky, the one kid that turned on him. Yeah. Because 
uh, I think many, many people, and Matt has now made a career out of going around uh, talking about this. He never testified at the trial because he flipped in the middle of the trial. But he's the reason that Sandusky himself never got to testify because his lawyer decided that because Matt was now saying that his father had abused him, that if they called uh, Jerry, that that would open the door for Matt to testify. So they didn't have him testify. Right. But this is, you know, I was able to, to be in touch with the woman that Matt uh, uh, had an affair with, who was living with the Sandowskis, and how they attempted suicide. And now Matt rep- represents this as that he attempted suicide because uh, he was being abused, but uh, she didn't say that at all. She said he never mentioned anything like that to me. Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and then he told the police that he was just beginning to get back repressed memories in the middle mm-hmm. of the trial. Sure. And the police said, well, do you remember... Uh, oral sex, and he said, no, not yet. So then <laughs> he goes on Oprah, and uh, he tells her, yeah, now he remembers the oral sex. Uh, and he said, for him to have done those things to me, for him to perform oral sex on me, force me to do the same to him, for him to kiss me on the mouth. Uh, and then Oprah interrupts and says, did he ever try to anally penetrate you? Uh, yes, I mean, he did digitally with his fingers, and he did try, but I was never anally penetrated. Uh, so based on what you're telling me, Winfrey said, you actually repressed a lot of it. Uh-huh, absolutely. The physical part is the part, you know, you can erase. My child so we've got self, seven. So we've got seven or eight guys here who, 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 have, who now claim all of these things happened, and, uh, and, uh, and none of them. Uh, could you know? None of them remembered it directly right away. None of them could just say, "Oh, oh, yeah, 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 that happened to me too." I, I mean, seven or eight people who can't remember anything. I'm sorry. Well, that was uh, that was it was the first. Uh, you know, that's actually true of the two later ones too that came after the grand jury presentment. First, they were just six. Uh, which included the phantom uh, victim who never existed, and which included Zach Constas, and which included others who said nothing had ever happened to start with. But then, once it became clear that all the money was coming, yes, yes people said immediately, oh, yeah, he did this to me, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And, you know, Penn State did no vetting at all that I can see uh, of these cases. They just They just wanted it all to go away, and they threw money at people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you, Mark, you've convinced. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, as I say, I'm an old newsman. I'm a natural cynic. And uh, when I first, uh, uh, when I first knew that I was probably going to be talking to you, and I saw the title of your book. I'm thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. The rush to judgment. Uh, uh, but I'll tell you, your your storytelling, uh, the your your facts uh, are impeccable. And uh, I'm I'm on your side now. I'm convinced that the entire system was just ready to go bonkers, which it did. And and uh, poor Jerry Sandusky was standing right there. Yep. 
And, uh, you know, the free report that Louis Free did was uh, a travesty. Um, ignored a lot of stuff. There, uh, there, there's a, a. I found it interesting so many... that the former you know, the former FBI director Free comes in with this report that's that's just lambastes everybody, and yet the FBI themselves did a report that pretty much found uh, that uh, every, every found the opposite. Well, it wasn't the FBI, but it was a, a government agency, um, and the, the guy who uh, who investigated interviewed a whole bunch of people, and this was right after the grand jury presentment came out, uh, and basically concluded that nothing had happened, that there was no cover-up. He was focusing primarily on uh, Graham Spanier, the college president, uh, but... Uh, he concluded that the whole thing was, you know, nothing. It was a, a big to-do over nothing. And John Ziegler, who is a, a very diligent researcher, he's uh, he can be a, an abrasive personality, but boy, he has been on this case before I was and for a long time. And he, you know, he has a website called FramingPaterno.com, which I highly recommend that people look at. Uh, and his career was basically ruined from uh, trying to, to, to scream from the mountaintops what had happened in this case. And as I said, I've been basically ignored. Uh, so it's been a very frustrating ex- experience. So I hope it's got to you know, have been. Let me say you one other not. thing. I say this, I say okay. this in every interview. Please, people, get the book. You can buy it on Amazon. It's a paperback. And it. I think Van will testify it's pretty long, but it's not hard to read. And it's read very it. easy. You know, because unless you read it, you're not going to believe this. No. Uh, you know, I can't convey it to you in the space of an hour. Yeah. Well, i got to say, i got to say, Mark, the first, I'm flabbergasted. I'm also angry and embarrassed uh, that the society in which I live could behave so much like those historical Puritans of Salem witch days. I, I really almost have no words after reading this. Mark, this is one of the most significant books I have read in years. Thank you for your work and for sharing it. Well, thank you for reading it and for bringing it to people's attention. Okay. Folks, Seldom are you going to hear me tout something as a must-read, but this ranks right up there in my mind with Bob Woodward's newly released expose, Fear. You'll be able to find this wherever they sell books. The Most Hated Man in America. It's by Mark Pendergrast, and it is a must-read. This has been the author's interview from Sunbury Press. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.